There's something curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Extra. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal Extra, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. We are working in conjunction with the UK Astronomy Group to talk about what's going on in the skies for the month and I can't actually do that without the guy that actually came up with the concept of the UK Astronomy Group and that is Ross Ockham. How are you doing sir? Very good mate as always, yourself? Yeah great, absolutely great. So what have you been up to recently? A uh, couple of really good events we had. The uh, one at Emberton, which is just down the road from me. I live in Milton Keynes. And uh, it was the one where I it first ever started, wasn't it? In the mm-hmm. field where I just went there. So yeah, five years on, I did a kind of special back where it all started and it got sold out. It was fantastic. Really, really good. Loads of local people came and it's not that big a hall. So to have 50 or 60 people there was absolutely brilliant. And pretty much all my astronomer buddies as well all turned up as well to support me. So for me, it was kind of like quite touching that, you know, Five years on, I was literally just a bloke who knew nothing at all. And then here I was talking to 50, 60 people with all these other guys and girls who are sitting there listening, supporting me and helping me. And I just thought, oh, this is awesome. It really meant a lot to me. So, yeah, it's a really, really good night. And it was clear as well. Which is always... Bonus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Really good. So, what we're going to do, we're going to have a short break. And when we come back, let's look up at the big black. Good morning. It's T minus 45 minutes until the final countdown commences. In less than one hour, if all goes according to plan, the three members of the Apollo 11 crew will blast off in their. My father's name was Edwin Eugene Aldrin. Has dreamt of mankind's greatest adventure. I became Buzz. Destination: the moon. We looked back at the Earth and watched it get smaller. Oh, it was beautiful. Apollo 11, this is Houston. I've got the morning news here, if you're interested, over. Go ahead, Houston. An Irishman has won the World Porridge Eating Championship by consuming 23 bowls of instant oatmeal. I'd like to enter Aldrin in the oatmeal eating contest next time. He's on his 19th bowl. <laughs> Roger. Human nature and curiosity is to explore the world around us. And the world around us includes way beyond. Go get the here. Go for landing. Over. I did it there. Go for landing. Roger 1202. We copy it. We're go. Same type. We're go. Okay. Engine stop. We copy it down, Eagle. Beautiful view. Magnificent ventilation. The next generation of explorers should not ever give up. Did you know that right now we have a spacecraft orbiting the moon? The Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter has been at the moon for over seven years, providing unprecedented detail into our nearest neighbor in space. 
I'm Noah Petro, and for more information about the Moon and the LRO mission, go to nasa.gov LRO and follow us on Twitter, at LRO underscore NASA. This is TGP Nominal. So welcome back to TGP Nominal Extra. So Ross, what have you got for us? Quite a lot. It's actually quite good this month. There's quite a bit going on. We do have to really talk about the elephant in the skies because <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of controversy about it and a lot of people talking in the group about Elon Musk. He has sent up a string of satellites called Starlink and there's about 60 of them all in a line, all coming around about every 90 minutes or so in the sky. And I didn't know anything about this. I'm not really into, you know, spaceships and satellites and what's going on. So my finger wasn't on the pulse on this one. And all that happened was a person posted in our group, I think it was on a Saturday or something, that had seen this string of lights in the sky. What were they? And someone else had and someone else had and instantly you always think everyone's going to start talking about controversy and aliens and things like that but then someone posted in there that it was actually this starlink thing so i had to look it up find out what it was find out when it's coming up i did go out into my garden to try and have a look at it the next night but unfortunately it was 100 percent cloud as always so i didn't get to see it myself but i was at work on a night shift and i had the times for it to come up me and my friend there we did pop out for five minutes out into the yard to have a look up to see if we could see it and we did we managed to see them coming across they weren't that bright in London because London's quite light polluted but as they sort of dipped down they did catch the sunlight and there are quite a few pictures as well which are, uh, I'll pass on to you Mark and you can pop on the notes for people to see the problem is it's a bit like Marmite <laughs> with the astronomy world because there's lots of people like myself go out there there are loads of people posting going oh it looks absolutely stunning it does look amazing this string of lights flying through the sky in a line it is really cool to see but then you've got the other side are they going to pollute the sky because Elon Musk, I think his plan is to make it all like a constellation of satellites, isn't he, or something around the world. Uh, eventually, he's going to put 12,000 up there. Yeah, so people are now looking at these 60 and how bright they were and thinking, if we have 12,000 of these up in the sky, that's the end of astronomy. Um, not really, no. <laughs> That's the thing. We had we had some people going in there and going, it's horrendous, it's blah, 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 it's horrible and blah. And I totally get it. You know, I'm an astronomer myself and I don't I don't want it to ruin the skies. I, I like the skies as they are. I, was, I have nothing to teach, as someone told me, if it gets that bad. But looking into it, I mean, you, you probably know more about it than I do, Mark, so this is your kind of field, rockets and stuff. But I was sitting there thinking, this is Elon Musk, you know. I know he's... He's a little bit eccentric, isn't he? And he loves doing all this stuff. I can't see NASA or someone or whoever's in charge of all the skies and everything now in space, which is probably everyone, would let that happen. And I'm, I'm sure that he, you know, he loves space and he loves that. I can't see that he would let that happen and, it, you know, ruin the skies. So, And also, they only pass every 90 minutes for about three minutes. Yeah. So, you know, when they spread out, I'm hoping they're going to be in higher Earth orbit. They're nowhere near their stationary orbit at the moment. Yeah. So they're, they're gradually getting higher and higher and further and further apart. I mean, when they were first launched out of the spacecraft, uh, you've probably seen the footage of it. Uh, they were just like a stack of cards just floating in, in one big block. And then the, yeah. uh, eventually they're starting to spread out. But as Elon Musk actually said, there's over 9,000 of them not his, but there's over 9,000 of them scattered about anyway, and people don't notice them. Occasionally you was. do. You get the Iridium ones occasionally, and some of them are dying out now, so there's going to be even less of, of those. Yeah. So, I read there was an uproar about that as well when they first started doing the Iridium ones. People in the astronomy world back in the day were saying that they're going to ruin the skies, and they haven't really, have they? No. 
you might get i mean i can understand astrophotography because you have to do long exposure of a certain area and if that flies through they're saying it's going to ruin it or it's going to be in the way and stuff but there's so many programs out there nowadays where you can take that frame out mm-hmm. take or just get rid of things like that the, the programs software we've got is absolutely amazing to take things out of pictures so i can't really see being too much of a problem satellite internet is used for scientific research to work out when there's going to be earthquakes and this that and the other so we've got early warning systems for that kind of stuff um so it's not just so that you can play games and watch netflix or whatever there is some very important things that are that you need the internet for so it's not just for Fortnite kids no i've been reading that eventually these starlink satellites will be used for communication with mars because you think about it there is nothing on mars so there needs to be a complete infrastructure if you're going to colonize Mm -hmm. you need to have connections with the planet at all times like hundreds of years time there's probably going to be spaceships flying here there and everywhere Mm -hmm. it's gonna it's, it's it's almost an inevitability isn't it that we are going to have to eventually have things flying around in space and probably quite a lot of things. Yeah. Chanel Harrier Wilson was going on about, you know, the different things in space and she said she used this program so that you can see it. And I showed her the, the website Stuff in Space. And Stuff in Space is an unbelievable website uh, and it's got every, when I say every, every recorded thing in space, whether it's a satellite, whether it's a piece of debris, whether it's... Yep whatever uh, if it's been recorded it's on this website and there's little dots showing what each ones are they're color coded so you can work out what it is and if you click on each of the different dots it tells you what it is when it was launched all the information you need about it and it is it's beautiful to watch because it's all in 3d without having to have glasses you, you can almost immerse yourself in this thing as it spins around the globe but yes it's beautiful but it's also pretty scary at the same time thinking we have all this stuff floating around and that is just in orbit and uh, further out but as i mentioned uh, in the group there are companies uh, like sorry satellite technologies that are building spacecraft that actually act like wally Wally. Mm, they're going around the galaxy collecting rubbish and uh, the technology that they use um, i call it the the gladiator spacecraft because it uses two things to collect uh, a big net and a harpoon so it's almost like having one of these trident things and a net like the gladiators used to have. Basically, they've done some tests. They st- they sent the spacecraft, it's a, a small spacecraft that they sent up with SpaceX to the International Space Station, launched it from the space station, threw some stuff into space, the net collected it, then they did another one, a test one, where they shot something out of the spacecraft, the harpoon got it and reeled it back in. I can't remember the speed that this thing fires these harpoons at, but it's like so many kilometers a second. It's really, really fast. It's almost like, you know, with um, like a chameleon with its tongue, where it just, it's like that. So they've done test runs with this thing and it works. So now they're looking for people to fund it, which they're looking at governments to fund it really, because it's governments that have put this rubbish into space. Well, a lot of it is governments. And then they can do stuff with it. I mean, some of it will be used again. They can use some of the bits because a lot of these satellites and things have still got precious metals and things in there that they could probably reuse. Can recycle it. And then the bits that they can't use, it can be pushed into our atmosphere so it will burn up. 
That's quite clever. They actually harpoon it in space. Yeah, it's an amazing <laughs> thing. I'll have to put a, a video in the show notes of it actually harpooning, but it's very quick. They had to slow down the video so that you could see it. It has to be quick to catch something flying in space, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And the other thing they're going to hopefully do is another small, like a, one of those kind of small bread bin size satellites, which has a solar sail that comes out. Yeah. So it propels it and then it sticks to this piece of debris with bigger pieces. And then the solar sail will then maneuver it to an area where it can be burnt up. Wicked. So they've got three different ways of dealing with this and it just needs funding. At least we've actually realised it now. Mm -hmm. I know the human race seems to be very good at sort of (laughs) dealing with a problem after as opposed to thinking, well, hang on a minute. If we do do this, isn't there going to be a load of rubbish lying around? Yeah. They tend to do it first, don't they? And then go, oh, hang on a minute. There's loads of rubbish lying around. (laughs) Dealing with the problem after. But at least there's something there going on. Yeah. Try and get rid of it all. I mean, Surrey Satellites are not the only company that are dealing with it. There are other uh, organisations that are uh, hoping to get funding as well. I say the more the merrier, to be honest. When, When you see how much is out there that needs to be got rid of, it needs to be done. The Surrey Satellites program is called, well... It's not a very imaginative uh, name. It's called Remove Debris. (laughs) Does what it says. (laughs) Yeah, so imagine then you're going to have more and more satellites up in the sky and things. So... But I think someone like SpaceX will probably put some funding in towards these programs. I mean, they did launch the removed debris into space. Well, they didn't launch it into space. They took it to the space station and then the space station launched it. So they have had some dealing with it, as it were. The the Starlink system, uh, they're they're also using a new type of propulsion. I mean, I know ion propulsion has been around for a long while, but this is a new type of ion propulsion called Krypton. The, everything with SpaceX has got something to do with sci-fi <laughs> or what, whatnot. Um, he's, he's a big geek, isn't he? Yeah, he is, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so the, the new propulsion system, they're testing on the Starlink, and hopefully they're going to have it on other kinds of spacecraft. So we will be able to get to other places a lot quicker and cheaper. For me, that's the first lot that have gone up, and I've managed to see it and video it. So it's kind of, for me, I'm kind of like, I was there when the first lot went up. I mean, hopefully they go, disappear, we'll never see them. But every time now they go up and drop a load of them, it's something cool to see in the sky Mm -hmm. every once in a while for like a week or so before they all get into wherever they go. So, you know, for me, it's like, oh, something else to actually get people to want to go out and actually look up and inspire them to perhaps do something and go up into space or learn something. So to me, that's the way I look at it. It's like, yeah, it is a little bit controversial. There's nothing you can do much about the dark skies because, I mean, for me, when I was in London looking at them, the light pollution was worse than they were. That's your worst thing. I mean, you can't get a decent sky now unless you go to Wales or Scotland or something like that. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. So for all the kids and stuff, that's where we should be starting and that's where we should really be in uproar because that sort of thing we can do. There was the other argument as well about radio astronomy. They, They were worried about the satellites interfering with radio astronomy, but the satellites are actually functioning on a different frequency than what you use in radio astronomy. So in theory, it shouldn't theory be affected. Should be all right, cool. So, fingers crossed, we should be all right. Right, I suppose we better start talking about the other stuff that are up in the sky. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, we've, now we've dealt with that controversy. Space, the final frontier. 
These are the voyages of TGP Nominal and its infinite mission to explore space, science, and technology news. To explore the world of sci-fi, comic-cons, and gaming. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before. So, June. What's going on in June? Now, as we know, the clock's changed, the days are longer, and the nights are shorter, and we don't actually really get true darkness in this country. But there's still tons that you can see. We've got on the 2nd of June, Jupiter's moons are all going to be to the east side of the planet this evening. So you'll have Callisto, Europa and Io forming a nice little triangle to the east of uh, Jupiter, while its moon Ganymede is actually going to be further from the planet than them. So you can see that further off to the other side of the side with it. So that's quite cool to see. Every single moon is going to be on that side of the planet. But I like that. There's a, it happens a few times this month and we're going to go through it. So that's something great that you can never look at. On the 4th, you've got a very thin crescent moon that can be seen sort of bottom left of Mercury as the sun sets. So it's more of an afternoon sort of thing. As the sun's setting, go and grab a nice pims or something because that'd be nice in the garden. A nice warmer month, hopefully. Lots of sun. It's a great time to use it as a signpost to spot the elusive planet because Mercury is quite hard to see. If you jump to Jupiter now on the same night, well, kind of morning, it's around 12.30 I'm afraid, but there will be a double transit tonight. So first Ganymede shadow is going to cross the planet and then Io joins it at around 1.30 a.m. There's a quite a bit of this going on this month. So Jupiter's the main object this month and you'll find out why in a minute. On the 5th this afternoon, as the sun sets again, the thickening crescent moon will be just to the left of Mars this time. Probably the last time we're going to see the red planet this month because it's going to be gone for a while now. It's dropping below the horizon. It's barely there as kind of the sun sets and eventually, yeah, it's going to be gone. So pop out there and have a look at the red Mars. You'll see it there glowing quite nicely as the sun sets. Be careful because the sun's nearby. Don't look at it. On the 8th, if you look at the moon to the north, of like a, a mare called, oh, I hate this one, it's, it's Seren I Tatis. Seretitatis I'm going to go for. So it's probably completely different to what I'm saying. <laughs> but I didn't have time to Google it and I should have because I know this always happens and we love it. Yeah, so there's a mare called this. <laughs> there's a crater at the top of it called Alexander or to the north. It might be the other way around if you're looking for a reflector like a Dobby or something like that or a Newtonium. If you have a peek at it around about 11 o'clock tonight on the 8th, it will appear to have like a delicate necklace of lights just where the sort of shadow is. And that's going to be the sun, as always, glancing kind of on the tips of this sort of light. It's like a cratery mountain range sort of thing. And I haven't seen this one yet. We've spoken about other ones before. This is a new one. So the crater Alexander, you should be able to find it on a map and things like that. It's going to look quite cool. So I'm going to see if I can go out and get a picture of it. We can pop it in the notes uh, maybe next month or something. Also, the same night, Jupiter's moon Europa is going to transit the planet. And it's actually going to look like it's chasing its own shadow. The shadow is going to start going across just in front of it. Just before midnight, it will appear in its center of the planet around 120 it drifts to the middle and kind of starts moving out again so throughout the whole night and morning really from midnight onwards to probably about three four o'clock you're going to have europa chasing its own shadow across the planet that's quite cool to see i like things like that so i'm going to try and get out hopefully if i'm not at work on the 10th 
we're still at Jupiter because this month it comes into opposition. So this is why we're talking about Jupiter this month because when it comes a planet comes into opposition, it means it appears brighter and bigger in the sky for us to see. So it's a great time to see it. Although Jupiter isn't that high in the sky, you can't miss it. It's still really good to see. And as long as you haven't got a tree or building in the way, there's no way you can't have a good look at it, even with binoculars. So it's a great time to get out and spot it. Even with a naked eye, it can easily be seen in the sky. With binoculars, you'll reveal its four main moons, which we've been talking about. So you will be able to see them all on one side or all on the other side. If you've got a really good eye and a really steady hand or a tripod, you may see the shadow on it. The great red spot, you might be able to make out as well. But even with a small scope, you'll still be able to make out its features and things like that. So I started with a little tiny tabletop scope and I could see it with that. And that's what hooked me into astronomy. So definitely go out and have a look at Jupiter this month. On the 12th, we've got the jeweled handle again on the moon, which is the Jura Mountain Tips, which we've spoken about before, at the top of Mare or Mare Imbrium. So pop out there and have a look at that. I will put the notes on as well, a picture of it and stuff for you, so you can see it like that. We have spoken about it a few times, quite cool to see. On the 13th, we're back to Jupiter. As Jupiter rises, you're going to have to have a nice clear horizon, sort of like the south, southeast, southwest sort of area where it comes up. Io will start to transit the planet and this time its shadow will be chasing the moon. So this time you'll have the moon going across and then the shadow behind it across the face of Jupiter. So it's going to be slightly different, a different sort of view. You also have the great red spot twisting and coming into view at the same time. So you get to see the shadow, the moon and the great red spot together. Now while we're here on the great red spot, I saw an article that was posted by Richard J. Bartlett. We know him. He was on the show, wasn't he? Yeah. Hopefully it'll be on more because he's very, very good. He's, he's our guides master. He knows everything about the sky he posted in the group talking about a uh it was a link to something to do with nasa and stuff that the great red spot is possibly unraveling so apparently there was pictures and it has happened before i think 2017 they said it happened and then recently it's been happening almost like every week or so that a stream of gas has actually detached itself and it happened on may the 19th was the last one detached itself from the actual red spot it's about 10,000 kilometers in length this stream of gas and then it was carried away into the jet stream next to it so it's happening on a weekly basis and people are now saying is it the great red spot slowly sort of dissipating now and slowing down and actually almost like coughing and throwing this stuff out as it as it's gonna die but they've been saying that it's, it's shrinking we know that don't we it's gone from like the size of three earths down to one now yeah so has it now got to the point where it's lost its momentum and you know other things are dragging bits out of it well it's gonna go eventually apparently but they say that you can actually see the streams when you're looking through they said it you have to be in the right place at the right time to actually see one of these streams be thrown off or unravel but you never know, do you? You look up and all sorts of things can happen. So yeah, you never know, you might see one of them. If we move on to the 16th, it's a full moon. So as it rises, giving you, as always, a fantastic illusion of it looking larger than it actually is as it picks up from the horizon, Jupiter's going to rise with it as well. So it's going to be just to the moon's right. So it's a fantastic chance to get a picture of both of them together with the moon and Jupiter just to its right. If you actually get a scope onto Jupiter at the same time, or when it's risen a bit better, because it's not good to look through the horizon, that low because it's quite uh, blurry you're looking for a lot of atmosphere with a telescope and stuff but yeah if you look at it probably best just before midnight you might wonder where Europa is Europa seems to have disappeared because all the other moons are lying to its east but Europa's gone it hasn't flown off it hasn't blown up or anything it just happens to be behind the planet at that time so if you watch it for a little while around about midnight just after that you'll see it actually slip out and join the moons to its east so it shows you how the moons move around Jupiter. So there's quite a lot to see with Jupiter, and it'd be quite cool to have a look at all that stuff, especially astrophotographers and stuff, get pictures of it. It'd be really good. 
If we move on to the 17th, the 18th and the 19th all together, you keep an eye on Mercury and Mars. They're going to be quite close to each other. On the 18th, they'll be really close. But it's pretty much Mercury and Mars are going to kind of buzz each other and almost pass each other in the sky. So it'll look like Mars is going under the planet Mercury or is Mercury going over the planet Mars? The who knows? They're both going opposite ways almost in the sky past each other. It's quite strange. The best night is the 18th to have a look because Mars will be directly below Mercury, which will look really cool in the afternoon sky. The sun will be setting, so be careful when you're looking. But it is a really good time if you've got a clear western horizon to have a look and find Mercury because it is hard to find. And, you know, if you can see Mars, you'll know that just below it or above it, you know both planets are there. The red one will be Mars. So you can have a look and find it. It'll be a really good time to see it. I'm going to try. On the 19th, after midnight, the ringed gas giant Saturn rises. It's getting better and better to see slowly. Probably in the next month or so, it'll come into a position and be better for us. It's going to rise with the moon this time. So it's the moon and Saturn's turn together. And the moon is going to be just below right of the planet. So it's a great time to spot Saturn as well. So you've got a really good, you know, if you haven't seen Jupiter before, the moon, Jupiter will be together. And the Moon and Saturn will be together. You've got Mars and Mercury together. So it's a really good time if you don't know where anything is to pop out and have a look and find all the planets. Now, if we go to the 21st, it's officially the summer solstice, which occurs when one of Earth's poles has its maximum tilt towards the sun. The summer solstice is when the sun reaches its highest position in the sky and is the day with the longest period of daylight. So not a great time for astronomy but is a great time to safely look at our sun if you have the proper gear of course never look at the sun because you'll go blind but with the longer days and shorter brighter nights i would take advantage of the days by observing the sun in fact astronomically dark skies won't start to appear until late july really and probably not even past i would say october to march is best time for actual astronomy of the sky but there are things out in the summer sky that you won't see so you do still need to go out and try and make use of when you have about half an hour, maybe an hour of OK dark skies to have a look at. Now, as I said, you should never look at the sun as it's extremely dangerous. And unless you want to go blind, never look at it through binoculars or a telescope, unless you have a certified filter or a professional like myself. What can you see on the sun? Sunspots. The sun is behaving, which it hasn't been really for the last few years. It's been very blank. I think they said there was like 220 something days of the sun doing nothing this year in the last year so it's been a bit boring but if it's behaving you will notice there are some black spots on its surface these spots are lower sort of cooler material that's been pulled up to the sun's surface by its magnetic field so it's pulling this stuff up if you're lucky enough to own a hydrogen alpha scope or come to one of my events have a look on the website it's all there www.ukastronomy.org that was a good plug wasn't it did that by accident <laughs> You can actually see prominences coming out from these magnetic loops and from these sunspots all around the edge of the sun as it kind of turns and they sometimes they can twist up and snap and that throws material into space creating flares and things and these things are like several earths high coming off of the sun so they're quite cool to see so yeah i'll be a, about around in the summer hopefully lots of summer events and things and fates we're going to come and have a look at the sun 24th mercury reaches its greatest eastern elongation so technically the best time to see it because it will be the furthest away from the sun and highest in our sky before it starts going back towards it. Again, as the sun sets, it's an afternoon thing. Uh, it's the best chance to spot the planet. Just to the left, slightly higher than the God of War Mars at that time. So it has gone past Mars and Mars won't be far from it. 26th, you've got Jupiter's main moons will all be lying to its west. This time you'll have Io, Ganymede and Europa creating a nice little triangle near the planet. And then it'll be Callisto, which is the one that's the furthest away, kind of slightly off sort of tilt toward the rest of them. 
that's everything date wise that's going on in the sky but the whole of june and i think july as well we do now move into the old uh noctilucian cloud season so noctilucian clouds are like meteor dust and ice crystals that are in our upper atmosphere and they kind of get lit from below as our sun shines up because it's below the horizon shining up onto it so it's still dark enough to see and it shines onto these ice crystals which all kind of look like wispy silver blue clouds and uh you have about an hour or two's window after sunset they say about 90 minutes i think to two hours is when it's best to have a look after sunset they can also be seen as i think probably about about this time last year wasn't it i went out and on the way home from a an astronomy event i pulled my car over very excitedly and jumped yeah. out and had a look because i saw them we'll see if we can get that picture on for them as well and they do tend to get more frequent and uh, better incoming as the message. month wears on incoming message I am Dr. Maggie Liu. I'm an astrophysicist working at the European Space Agency in Madrid. I've been asked to find you an interesting object to observe in the night skies of June, and so I've chosen M51, the Whirlpool Galaxy. It's a majestic spiral galaxy with giant spiral staircase-like arms filled with stars, gas and dust. And this makes for the ideal location to form new stars. This galaxy is actually the first galaxy to be classified as a spiral galaxy. It has particularly pronounced spiral arms and this is believed to be due to the interactions with a nearby dwarf galaxy, NGC 5195 tugging on one of M51 spiral arms and triggering more star formation. It's also a good region to find transient objects. So in the last 25 years, three supernova explosions have been observed here. The Whirlpool Galaxy can be found by following Ursa Major all the way to the tail and then going slightly down. With good dark sky conditions, you should be able to see it with binoculars. Well, that was Dr. Maggie Lou. Thank you very much, Maggie, for that message. Ross, what have you got on the Whirlpool Galaxy? Well, it's a great time to see it at the beginning of June because there's a new moon. So it's a really good time to see it. There won't be any moon in the way. So that's a great time to see the Whirlpool Galaxy. It's one of the most famous galaxies. It's a really nice one to see. I'll expand on how you can find it. If you find the plough or the Big Dipper, as some people call it, I like to call it the saucepan because it's easier to explain how to move along it. It's an asterism in the constellation of Ursa Major, which is the bear or the great bear. It's up all year round in the UK. You find the actual saucepan part itself, and then that'll be facing down towards the horizon. So it's kind of on its side this time of year. If you follow the handle up, so saucepan up to the handle, as I call it, to the last star on the handle, and the galaxy can be found around this star. If you're using a telescope, a 25mm or a 20mm, if you've got it eyepiece, will be best to find it because it's got a nice wide field of view. And as Maggie said, you can use binoculars to try and find it as well. With binoculars, I imagine it'll be just like a very faint, fuzzy object. I will have a look myself and see if I can find it with binoculars. Once you get onto it with your telescope, then start trying higher magnification eyepieces down probably like 15mm, 10mm. I'd say that's probably your max, maybe an 8 or a 6 have a play. You don't want to zoom in too much because it will go blurry. You don't want to zoom in too far away because it won't be very big. So you need to find the perfect magnification and uh, crispest image you can get. Use averted vision. Really good for astronomy. You literally, instead of looking at the object, look slightly to the side of it because your eyes seem to pick up light better for some reason on the sides of your eyes. If you're in a dark sky, like Maggie said, really, really nice to see. You can make out its spiral arms. I managed to see it in Charmouth a few years ago. A moderate size scope will make them out 
and it's mostly it's to do with decent skies you know if there's humidity it might block it out a bit if there's sodium light and you know street light it might block it out a bit but it is one of the most famous galaxies out there it can be seen i've seen it in my garden in milton Keynes. some detail can be made out definitely one to go and have a look at it's a really nice one for her to let us know about thank you um, and what we're planning on doing is um, not every month, but we're going to try and get special guests in uh, sending messages through with their chosen object of that month. We're going to try and get scientists and um, astrophysicists and people in the space industry. But I thought it would be nice also to put it out there to you guys because astronomers out there, budding astronomers and um, astrophotographers out there that might have some things that they've seen in the sky that they think is worth talking about. So if you want to do that, just get in touch. The uh, email address and contact details will be at the end of the show. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Russ, another packed episode of TGP Nominal Extra. There's loads to see this month, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Absolutely <laughs> it's quite tons. packed out. And um, have you got anything planned for June, or is it, is it a quiet month for you? Uh, Astronomy-wise, in the evenings, there's not too much, but I have got a couple of schools that want me to go and teach them about the sun and the planets and things like that, and a couple of solar events. There's a fate or two as well. Uh, Linden Gate, I think I'm going to, which is a uh, another charity. They want us to come along to teach people about the sun and stuff while we're there. So that'd be quite cool to do. So yeah, mostly, I think the next couple of months will be me running around looking at the sun safely until uh, August. Then it all sort of starts kicking off again. <laughs> so I've got a couple of peaceful months to chill. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Take it while you can. Yeah. <laughs> As always, sir, I'd like to thank you for coming on board. Thank you very much for having me. And of course, I have to say a big thank you to Dr. Maggie Liu from the European Space Agency for taking time out of her busy schedule to send us a message with her object of the month for June. And as I like to say at the end of each episode, thank you all for listening to the show. Take care one and all, and we'll speak to you all again real soon. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. This is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.